Welcome to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope for people facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community. Hope Ahead is brought to you by the Virtue Center, and I'm your host, Carol Bauman. And I'm Caleb Klusmeyer. Well, let's jump in. Welcome back. You are a hard guy to nail down. It has been a hard time to nail anything down yeah. lately. <laughs> but yeah. you're here and um, the suspense is killing me, so they say, because we left off with getting into the girl. So where where, and when and how did you meet this girl? So I met this girl. Uh, I have a dear friend who was actually at my house last night, and he is a good friend of hers. And so I, at the time, was... Right at two years sober. Uh, it was 2004. And I've kind of lived my, my fun life. I, I had a business. And I, had, uh, I had a landscaping business. And I had a Jeep. And, and you're sober. And I'm sober. And I had my hair about the length I wanted it. And I, I had no television. <laughs> I had no TV. Uh, I, I didn't really watch TV a whole lot. You know, I, I, I spent a lot of time outdoors. And I, you know, uh, I was comfortable being myself uh, through the steps. And I was comfortable being single. Uh, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I knew that God had a plan and, and it would work out. And I, I didn't spend the time worrying about it that I had before about right. why don't I have a girlfriend? What's wrong with me? I didn't think about, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was the, the best me, which is fortunate because it took the very best me to get a date with this girl. Like, you know, the, the, any other me wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have happened. So anyway, he, he kept telling me about her and I, that same line, I was like, man, I'm good. I, I'm just not there right now. I don't want, I'm not, I don't want to date. I don't want to. And, and unbeknownst to me, he's doing the same thing on the other end with her because uh, she had, she had worked for him through college. Uh, he, he ran a gap store and, and um, has now graduated on from that and is over at the university, but uh, she worked her way through college and, and was a star pupil, you know, did a great job. And uh, she, I believe, was still working, not for him, but at another store. So he knew her. And he was telling her, you know, about this guy. And she was out of a relationship, you know, not for very long and was just uninterested. So we had a thing. I went to their house uh, on Sundays. Uh, he, was, he was married, he and his wife, and they had a little girl. And, and a few of us went over there on Sunday nights and watched The Sopranos. And, and so that's when this was. Take yourself back to the, the Sopranos on HBO and, and live, real time. And uh, I didn't, he, he had told me, he's like, hey, she's going to come this coming Sunday. I'm like, why though? Why that? Why that thing? Like, I just want to go there. I, that's our thing. I want to do that. And I don't want to be the guy that's meeting a new girl. I want to watch The Sopranos and I want to cook the food. We would make Italian dishes and stuff. Oh, so. Fine. Uh, this went on for a couple of days, and, and I said, you know what, man, it, it really, I'm just not. I'm not going to come. I'll watch it at home. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you next week. I just, I'm not in. I, I, it's not what I want right now. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't angry. I was just like, back off. So I get a call a couple of days later, and he's like, no, she's not coming. She backed out, so don't worry about it. And I was like, all right, cool. So I go over there, and I'm standing in the kitchen, and I'm making meatballs and, and you know, doing our thing. And this girl walked in that I didn't know, and I knew immediately the only person coming that I don't know is the girl that he said isn't coming, right? <laughs> so I was polite, and I said hello, and then she had the same look on her face, like he had told her I wasn't coming. <laughs> so he told us both we weren't coming, and we both came, and there it was. And so it was awkward. It was exactly and what I thought. And you're still friends with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse. Oh, no. And better. So I... Uh, 
I, I did what I do. I was kind and I knew and, and I knew she didn't want to be there. I picked up on that because I didn't want to be there with her either. And so it worked out and I was polite and I didn't really get to watch much of the show and so on and so forth. And then they left town and then it was over. And when it was over, I was like, man, why? And but still interested. Right. I mean, she was great. She was as great as he said she would be uh, in the short time that, that we got to talk. And so the following week. Like I said, I was I was single. I was living. I know nothing. I didn't even have a washer and dryer, right? So they leave and they go to Vegas, and he calls me from away, the airport or something, and, and we're chatting, and he goes, "Hey, while we're gone, if you need to do laundry or something, you know that's cool. You can use our, you know, whatever. Just check on the house, and and you can and use our washer and dryer." I'm like, "Okay," and then he's like, "Well, you know, Sunday probably be good," and I'm like, "Well, Sunday will probably work," and I'm not cluing into anything, right? I'm, I'm. He's totally I'm scheming. Yeah. Uh huh. And I was like, you know what? I've got this deal. Sunday after Sunday afternoon would really actually work out for me. So if that's cool, he's like, "Yeah, I just I left the garage door opener. Don't worry about it." So blinders on. I drive over Sunday afternoon, all my laundry, and I there's a, there's a car out front that I don't recognize, a little black uh, Honda Civic, Sadie the Civic. I came to know later it was Sadie. Um, I hit the garage door and I go in. I said, hello? Hello? And I didn't hear anything. I walk into the kitchen and here's this beet red, flush, embarrassed girl from the other night. It's her. Uh, And she's embarrassed because she's wearing ratty t-shirt, like an old date party t-shirt. And she's on the floor doing this. She was cleaning the house. And I was doing the laundry. And that was a setup. And, And what happened, though, as things do is we talked and we chatted and I tried to make her not feel bad about being in grubby clothes and I was too and then we talked and we talked and we talked and then um, it came up about it was around Easter it came up about my parents were going somewhere and I just made an offhanded comment that uh, you know this is the first time I I, I realize it's the first time I haven't been with my family on Easter in, in a long long time and um, so that registered and then so we, we had a good talk and, and all that stuff. We exchanged numbers and, and uh, I left. I probably bungled that. I probably just said, oh, my clothes are done. I got to go. Um, and then I left. <laughs> Can you do that again? <laughs> oh, oh, my clothes, clothes are done. <laughs> That's the voice that always, my voice in my head is that. Um, so a, a few days go by and I talked to, to Kelly and I said, hey, I said, so that worked out. And I saw her and he's like, yeah, yeah, funny. And I, and I was like, what? probably give her a call sometime. He goes, do it. Let's just call her. Why not? And so I did. And we talked for a little bit uh, and she had to go. And then this is a matter of dispute for all time. She called me back and cause we, they, so I was there, the voice again, we talked and we talked about baseball. We're like, she's like, Oh yeah, I really like baseball. And I'm, you know, I'm a baseball guy. And I'm like, I love baseball. And I'm thinking, check that box. Yeah. And, uh, and we talked about the Red Hawks and that the Red Hawks were in town and so on and so forth and all this stuff. And I think we even talked about that they were had a game that night. I was like, okay, well, I'll see you later. And <laughs> <laughs> she called me back. And this is exactly how it happened, no matter what she says, exactly how it happened. She called me back and she said, did you say the Red Hawks were playing tonight? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, why don't we go? That is a date. That is asking someone on a date 100%. When they're too stupid to pick up on any other clue, mm-hmm. that's how you do it. And so I said, yeah. Sure. Well, do you want me to pick you up or, or, you know, and whatever. So um, now she contends that on purpose she wore a hat and something else so that it didn't look like a date, so that it wasn't a date. Um, Back to Easter. So that we we had a great time. We had a great time. And and, um, I we talked about it. She invited me to go 
to church with her on Easter. But then after that, she was going to her cousins where their family does this Easter thing. And then afterward, we did something. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, it may have been a thing at the Sooner Theater that I'd gotten tickets for. But so our very first official date, that one wasn't a date. She wore a hat. So the very first. And, Clearly. And, yeah. And she asked me. So so I, I go to her house in Edmond. She lived in Edmond. I lived here in Norman. I drove up there in the morning and got ready for church. Uh, we went to her church. We changed clothes, went to this family thing, and I met her whole family, the friend Stephen. Met all of these family and, and, and not date Stephen. Not date Stephen. Friend buddy, Stephen. Good old buddy Stephen. Was she wearing a hat? No hat. Just Easter. Oh. No, no. Yeah, dress the whole thing. Like she changed, but into comfortable clothes. So we spent the whole day together, and and I met the family and and all of that stuff. And uh, then we did the thing after, and then I got home, and I had that thing like none of that bothered me at all. Like I was used to my life where I did whatever I wanted, you know. And I was twenty nine at the time uh i thought hmm and i called my mom and and i kind of told her and she got all excited and i was like hey whoa slow down it's not that big of a deal she started planning a wedding (laughs) (laughs) almost immediately and so the funny thing about that is uh we didn't spend a lot of time apart and and i look back at it it was you know you're younger um i was 29 but i was still younger than now and driving to edmund and coming getting home at one in the morning or one thirty in the morning and or I'd played softball up there some, and so she would come to the games. And then I'd get home at 1.30, and I would get up at 6 and go to work, and, like, no big deal. And, you know, that energy that you get when, when you're in love, but you mm-hmm. maybe don't know it yet. And so it was – I knew. I had had this thing. You know, I, I knew – I maybe didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I was 29. I was not married on purpose. I, you know, I, there, was a, there was, some, I was something that I was looking for. I maybe didn't know what it was I was looking for, but I knew what I wasn't looking for. And she was all the things that I wasn't like. She was not any of the things that I wasn't looking for. And and, and then so, it, you know, and I think it was happening the, the same way on the other side. And uh, very early on, it, it kind of came up. And that's April, uh, June, late June, I proposed. Wow. And, and I man, I botched that, too. Like, I was so nervous. I knew. I took her parents. Like, I, I, I asked her parents to go to dinner, and I told her I was going rock climbing. She's like, I don't know you rock climb. I was like, well, I don't, <laughs> but it's up in Oklahoma City. <clears throat> and so I took her parents to dinner, and I, I, we, we ate dinner and this whole thing. And they knew what was coming. I, I, they had to, and I just couldn't. And then we got home, and I paid for dinner, and, I, and we went back to their house. And then I was just like, well, there's running out of time here. I've got to ask. And so I asked, you know, for, for their blessing. And, and her dad... God rest his soul. He's a good man. Um, her dad, in his way, he said, I think she could do a lot worse. And <laughs> that's it. That's perfect. And so, um, I don't know why I got emotional there, but it was, uh, it was a, good, it's a good memory. You know, it's just silly and it's goofy, but, uh, you know, he was, a big, he was a big, big part of her life. So, and, and mine. So anyway, uh, moving on, I went, went, uh, we had this trip planned and I set up a party for afterward downtown Oklahoma City with her friends, like an engagement party that, um, but I was so nervous. I, I, I knew she would say yes, because I don't think I would, would have asked if I didn't know that she would say yes. I don't think I was there yet, but um, it was supposed to be this whole thing in Branson, and my brother lives over there, and, and they were in show business, and they got us this great place to stay, and, and they knew about it, and I just couldn't take it. I, we were at her apartment before we left 
And I, I just couldn't. And, and so I asked her right there. Like I got on a knee and I asked her at her apartment. I was like, okay, let's go have fun. <laughs> like I couldn't do the weekend. <laughs> I couldn't do the trip. Like it was just too, too much pressure. Um, and so she said yes. And, and she said that's, you know, we started talking about it. She said she wanted to win her wedding. And I thought, great. It's a long time from now. Like it won't be this year. You know, it'll be later. And then no, this year. So met in April, engaged in late June, married December 12th. Wow of the same year like I guess when you know you know mm-hmm. and and uh you know we didn't have kids for a few more years and you know life like we'll talk about in a minute life life had something to do with that though uh you know it was um it was amazing and and right after we got engaged I think she went on a, a mission trip to build a house for Hondurans and I'm like what else what else are you you know and just just you know amazing woman of faith and I know now uh Beyond a shadow of a doubt, God knew what he was doing. Nobody else could have held our marriage together. Mm. There's no chance. Not with everything that happened. Um, and so if I'm ever struggling with my faith, I can go to that, right? Among a million other things. Mm-hmm. God knew what he was doing. God God put this woman in my life because he knew what was coming for her and me. Uh, and, and we didn't know. Thank God. You know, we didn't know. But but he did. And, and uh so, yeah, she is, uh, if you haven't gotten the picture by now, she's, she's amazing. Um, you know, she's a human with her flaws, but, but she, like, unlike a lot of people, she, she's aware of them and she addresses them and she, she works on them and she asks God to help her with those things and, uh, consistently. You know, she's, she's a person like me and, and like both of you who, who wants better. You know, we, we, we always uh, you know, want to strive for better and then probably have more of a hard time being content in the now with, with who we are. I think that's sometimes a struggle for reco- recovering people. It is uh, to be okay right now. You know, sometimes we miss that because for me, I know all the things I've done um, and I know what I'm capable of and I know the you know, I, 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 I've stumbled before and so the fear of that can can keep me out of the present. And so that's that's one of the things I work on always is recognize it. Let's go so ride our you, bikes. So Let's go ride our bikes to the restaurant. Let's right. go, you know, stuff like that. So you were sober um, when you met and getting married and you said, you know, something was coming. What was that something? Well, there were a lot of things coming. The first of which uh, really caught both of us off guard. I, I have no idea how it happened. I think there was a part of it that made me, I think there was a sense of relief that I did it. You know, I my life was going in the toilet. I got things together, um, and and here we are. Like this is this is perfect. I drank on our honeymoon, out in the middle of an ocean, and I remember. I don't remember being in a bad place spiritually at all. Maybe just a restful place um, where I was I was off guard, and somebody asked me the wrong question. And in my brain, it was maritime law. It was off. You know, does that count? Does it? You know, I. I it was alcoholism. Alcoholism said, you're not finished yet. And, and so I was playing. There was supposed to be a golf tournament, and I was, you know, was going to play in it. Then it rained, and so we couldn't go on shore and play. So they did this virtual golf tournament and the, and the hitting thing. And there was this golf, tur- um, uh, golf pro who was a really cool guy, and he went out of the room two or three times and said, does anybody want to drink? And like the fourth time, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. And just like that. And, and I had a few drinks, and, and, and like alcoholism is, I didn't intend to anything. I didn't think past that part. Um, but on our honeymoon, so imagine that if you're her, 
right? Right. Um, and, you know, we found there was an AA meeting on board and went to it, and she was devastated, and I was. We salvaged what we could of the trip, and I came home and, and, and went to my sponsor's house and, and talked to him. And, and uh, for the next, that was in 2004, going into 2005. Um, so in 2005, I stayed sober probably six months, and then another relapse, and then four months, and then another relapse, and then another uh, and it went on that way until um, the big one came. And the big one that came is, so in my parents lived, I grew up in Ponca City. My parents decided that they would move here. Uh, my brother was not going to have children um, to, that, that we knew of. And, and so we were the, grand, the grandkid, Hope, right? We were, we were going to deliver the grandbabies. And, and so my mom demanded it. And so my dad did it. And they, they picked up everything. They retired and moved to Norman and bought a house over on Oklahoma Street. And uh, it was a great place. Uh, I ended up buying the back acre from them and, and operated my landscape business out of there. And so it was just right in the middle of town, this two acres, this huge lot. It was perfect. And so everything was grand for a while. Uh, my mom started uh, speaking to one of her brothers. And so her family was, was a very there's a, a lot of branches on the family tree. It was just a, probably a typical American family, not the kind you see on, on TV as much. But, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of kids and there were different fathers and there was instability for years. But it was it was a relatively stable group as adults uh, working through everything, except for one brother who uh, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And, and by by his account, uh, mental illness, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, my mom wanted to help him. He was once again, you know, down on his luck, and, and uh, uh, a lot of the family had tried, uh, the brothers and sisters, and, and all of them had the same cautionary tale. Don't, just don't. Stay away from him. Stay away from him. Well, it was my mom's baby brother, and she wanted to help. And, and so I had sort of some mechanisms in place that, that could help theoretically if we were going to do it. My dad was against it, uh, but... Mom wanted to do it, and it was her baby brother. So, so I said okay, and I spoke to him on the phone a few times, and kind of a kind of a tough guy, hard, tough love type way. I said, if you'll get yourself here, however you do it, bus ticket, whatever, then I can introduce you uh, to to an AA group. I can introduce you to potential people who can sponsor you uh, if you're willing to do that. My help comes with that price tag. You got to be willing to try to stay sober, and and my mom's help does too. And, you know, and the list goes on. So he, he makes it here, and it's in April, early April of 07. Yes, early April of 07. And so I pick him up uh, at the bus stop, and we go and we meet. You know, here's, there's a place to stay. There's, there's potential work. There's a place to, to find your recovery. Here's a guy who's willing to, to work with you as a sponsor until, you know, unless you change your mind, find somebody else, that's fine. Um, there it all is. Um, run with it. Call me if you need me. And so, you know, there was trepidation across the family, of course. Uh, and, he, and I think he put his best foot forward and he tried and, and uh, you know, it wasn't long until he was back to his old stuff. And so in there somewhere, my parents, my, my dad had agreed to be his guardian, his payee, for a settlement that was coming from something in his past. Uh, it was Social Security or, or something. I'm not sure what it was. And um, that turned out to be not such a great idea. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, six months later, in September, uh, like I said, I worked at my parents and, and 
in the back, I own that property, and they were going to help. The, my uncle's money had come in, and he had been in trouble. I'd, I'd talked to my sponsor a lot. He had been, you know, I'd talked to the guy he was living with, urging him, get, throw him out. You know, he, I can't live at your house anymore. Like, this guy's trouble. He's going back to what he was. And, and uh, so I was going over there one day. My aunt was there, uh, my mom's other sister. So this is Bill is the brother. My mom and her sister were all there. My dad was helping her sister with her finances, unrelated, totally unrelated, just trying to help her get some things squared away. And then Bill was coming over, and they were going to help him settle his settlement. You know, here's here, they made some agreements. You need to pay for this child support. You need to pay for this. Those are the terms of us doing this. Um, and so my mother was there, her sister, uh, and she went to pick up her brother and brought him over. My grandmother, who was my dad's mom, lived there as well. He, she lived with them. She lived with them in Ponca. She lived with them here. Uh, she was older and you know didn't want to do a nursing home or any of that stuff. So she she lived with them and they took care of her. And so I was there. They got back and I talked to them on the phone and and uh, they were handling their business and and my mom you know made a comment about Bill being a little riled up and I said is he drunk? She said oh he might be drunk. So you need me to come up there? She said no. And it was the week before. I don't know if any context how you, how you are with the OU football schedule, but Miami was coming here in 07 to play early. And so big game. My wife and I had just made an offer and getting ready. You know, had a contract pending on a house. And so I had all that land back there, and it's right by campus. And so we were going to park cars for a little extra money, you know, furniture money. Our house was way bigger. We needed new stuff, and our new house was going to be – so I was there waiting on my crews to come, and I was doing some cleaning so that we could park more cars over there uh, for the game day. And they're inside doing their thing. And, and so I hung up with my mom, and as it turns out, that was the last time I talked to her. And it was about seven minutes before, uh, before she was killed. And so what happened was, best we can figure, I mean, I know the, I know the details, but I don't know the whys. So speculating on the why, uh, he, he was intoxicated, Bill, and he... he didn't like the agreement anymore that they'd made about the money and he probably won it all. And it was, you know, it was 30 or $40,000. That's the best we can figure. There's no other thing that makes sense. And sometimes things just don't make sense. But what happened is uh, Bill made his way upstairs and he got a shotgun out of my dad's closet. Uh, had probably been up there before and knew where it was. He had probably, you know, found that another time. And he loaded up and he came downstairs without saying a word. My dad and he, my dad took him out on the porch to talk to him and kind of take him out there. And my dad went to get water and came back. And when he came back, Bill wasn't in there. That's when he went upstairs, we think. Uh, and he came in and he shot my mom at point blank range and he shot my aunt at point blank range at the dining room table. And my dad heard it. And he's visually disabled. Um, he, he, former combat veteran, so he could handle himself, but he, he's, vision, he's legally blind. And so he heard it and he came in, and that's when he heard my 87-year-old grandma say, don't shoot me. And then he heard the gun go off. And, and so he shot three women, and my dad was able to, to he, he could hear where he was, and he got the gun away, and he wrestled him to the ground, and, and Bill you know, got some punches in on him and then hit him with the gun, and put the gun to my dad and said, I'm going to kill you too, you SOB. And the gun jammed. It jammed. And so Bill made his way back out front uh, to, to probably to clear the gun. So he had five shells, and there were five 
of us alive there uh, other than him. So I think he was going to finish. And my dad was able to gather himself and go outside. And when he got outside, he was able to, to get the gun away. And, and, and he thought he killed him. He, he uh, well, he defended me and he defended us. And, and he did what, whatever he had the power to do at that time. And, and he thought that he had killed him. Uh, he knew he had incapacita incapacitated him. And at that point, he came through the house. And I was way down. And he opened the door and he yelled for me. And I heard his voice, and it was unlike, it was so high-pitched. I thought, what in the world? And he said, the SOB shot the whole damn family. And, you know, sprint, that's all I knew to do. I, 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 I took off running up there, and I came in. And uh, uh, he was with my mom, who was right inside the door. And he asked me to check my aunt, and I went to check, and it was as bad as you could imagine. And, and she wasn't with us, and it was obvious. And... He said, make sure he's not going anywhere. And I was like, hmm. So I went out to the porch and I froze. I, I, that time, I've never had that type of fear in my life. And, and that's a part of, of this story that I missed for a long time. Um, but that fear, I didn't know what to do. I reached for the door handle and there was blood on it. And I opened it up and he was laying there. And I could hear him breathing. And he was on top of the gun. And I, my brain told me he shot himself. Because it looked like someone might have you know, pulled the trigger and then fell down on top of the gun. But I didn't know what had happened. And I, I, could just, I could hear my heart beating, and I was paralyzed with fear, and I didn't know what to do, and I just stood there. And so I came back in, and I said, I said, Dad, uh, I, he's, he's, I don't remember what I said. He's dead. He's dying. Don't worry about him. And he said, go check Mom. And, and it hit me like my grandma's in here. And so I went to check her, and she was alive, uh, but barely. And she had she had been shot here and she put her hand up um, and I, I went to reach for her pulse and, and couldn't. Um, and she asked me, she said, is everything okay? Is everyone okay? And I said, everybody's going to be okay, Grandma. And I gave her a kiss and I screamed at my dad and I said, she's alive. And he said, switch me. So he came to his mom and I went to mine. And there wasn't anything I could do, but I didn't know for sure. And, and so my dad had already called 911, and, and I was doing CPR, and I know for a fact now that it was, there was nothing, um, you know, but, but I, her body was moving because I was doing CPR, and so I didn't stop. And, and finally, uh, they were calling, and, and they, I, I had to answer the 911. They were, they were calling us, and we couldn't figure out where they were. Why aren't they here yet? We could hear the sirens. Why aren't they here? So I answered, and then the dispatch said that I had to come outside. And I said, no, <laughs> you come in here. Those people, you know, come in here. And they couldn't. They just couldn't and because there's an active shooter. They don't know. They, they just don't know. I could be the shooter. And so um, so I, I went outside on the porch, and, and from there, you know, I was um, – I, I love the Norman Police Department. I love that, um, the work that they do and the job they do and putting their – putting their uh, lives on the line for us every minute of every single day. And I have all the respect in the world for them. But in that moment, I didn't understand what was happening. I do now. But I had to come out. And, and there were guns on me, a lot of them. And, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs to try to tell them what's happening. And, and, and they, they got me on the ground, and I was handcuffed, and I was just I was begging. I was just begging and screaming. And, um, but I know what they had to do. They were following their protocol. And so they needed the house clear so they could go in. They don't know if there's still a shooter in there. They don't know who's, who's good, who's bad, who's alive, who's dead. They know nothing. Um, and so 
they were doing that, and I was I was trying to tell them it's the guy on the porch shot people. My dad's in there. He can't see anything. Don't hurt him. You know all of these things, and and so that scenario. You know, um, by the end of that, um, we end up going to the hospital, and and my wife did not have her phone that day. The only day in recorded history that we can think of of our entire marriage. She, she was a, a school teacher. She was a classroom school teacher. And, and this is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, she's at school and, and, and didn't have her phone. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, we're, we're getting in an ambulance to go to the hospital. Um, pretty sure that, that of what the result of all of this is going to be, but don't know for sure, you know. And so uh, I ended up having to call one of, her, uh, one of her best friends that she taught with. And I said, where are you? <laughs> And, and she turned around and went back to the school and told my wife. And, and um, so some guys that worked for me, one of my crews had showed up during all of this when I'm laying on the ground screaming, uh, you know, and they knew the family. They, my mom and grandma made them lunches every single day. And, and so they're in shock. I said, I need you to go home. I need you to go wait for my wife to get there and bring her to the hospital. When she gets there, she doesn't have her phone. And, and so they did that. And um, to say... The, the aftermath of that was just, you know, there was an overwhelming outpouring of support from people that we knew and, and, and knew our family and loved us. And, um, but it was, it was numbing. It was absolutely just everything's upside down. You know, outside of the stuff that you've got to process from the scene, there's, you know, we had three funerals in 10 days. And, and I do know that, that people were surrounding us the whole time. Absolutely. We were, we were never alone. We were never needed for anything. Um, and it was amazing. But um, so out of that, my uncle survived. He didn't die. The other three women did. And so we went, we did those funerals. Um, and, you know, I, I remember a lot of it, but I don't like it was it was a different person, you know, it was, you know just trying to figure it out. And then, um you know, so at some point, my, my dad was staying with us. At some point, he, he was able to move back into his house, and we were like, is that a good idea? But, you know, even then, we had friends uh, here in town, a good friend of mine who's a contractor. He's done it forever and ever and ever and makes beautiful stuff. But, um, you know, he showed up one day, and he said, if you'll let me, I'll take care of the place. Don't worry about it. Because, there, you know, there's, there's stuff everywhere. It's, it's awful. And uh, so, I, you know, I never had to see it again. And, and his crew went and took care of it and filed the insurance and... and and what didn't get paid for came out of his pocket. And it was just, you know, that type of love. Like, there were so many loving, kind acts out of all that. Uh, but it was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. I have to pause you yeah. for a second. Um, I'll be honest. I had no idea. You didn't? I had no idea. Did you, Caleb? No. I did not know that this was the what's coming. Okay. So I'm kind of, I'm in shock here um because that is so awful yeah. i mean beyond awful um i didn't see that coming Stephen, <laughs> at all so i have a question for you then for our listeners then is there is there anything unclear about what i said you know is there like what what is your immediate reaction and your what question do you have because i'm sure a lot of people are hearing it i can't for the first believe time too. that 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 was the what's coming, and we're sitting here having this conversation with you today um, as a sober individual. I mean, it is. I, I just, that is horrific. 
And there are times that we can't believe it either. And and I don't want to be, but there like there's more, you know. There's, right. And, I mean, I have so many questions. Sure. I want to know where your uncle is today. So short version, he two years later, uh, our first daughter was born in August of '09. So we the the judge was beautiful and wonderful. Uh, I guess I can say it. Lori Walkley was her first capital murder trial. And because the defense kept pushing it back as they'll do, you know, funding to keep him alive. So, and not knocking oids, but, you know, that's, that's their job. And I'm grateful that people fight for our freedoms, but, and the rights of others. They, they fight for the rights of others who can't fight for themselves, but they continue to, to get continuances and push the trial date. So it was two years later and, uh, we were going to have our baby when they wanted to have the trial. And she said, no. And she, well, she called us in and said, when do you want to do it? We're not doing it then. Of course not. When do you want to do it? Um, and so we told her the following January, late February of 10, it was, it took four weeks. So 2010, um, early February, we started and well, yeah, cause it was over on, on uh, Valentine's day was the last day of sentencing. So, uh, two week capital murder trial, guilty on all charges, death penalty, um, jury took about 20 minutes, you know, after all of the stuff and everything, you know, whatever, what if they tried to put out there, um, the jury didn't take very long at all. And then they convicted him. Uh, and so, um, eventually he was transferred to McAllister and then, um, I think this matters. And I think there's something, one of these days it'll, I'll figure it all out. But I, you know, for seven years I was trying to get sober. There wasn't a day went by that I didn't know that I wanted to, wanted to be and needed to be sober, but I couldn't do it. Um, not for any length of time. So you're not sober during this time. Um, I didn't have continued sobriety. I was, I had been sober. Right. Uh, I was in and out, but I, I was, I was more in than out, but I didn't have a good long stretch of continued sobriety. I had a sponsor. I went to meetings, uh, but, but I was struggling and I had been, you know, like for, for two years since the honeymoon, I, I had not had solid, consistent, um, sustained sobriety and this event is definitely gonna sure and so that he then um i'll I'll go forward and then then we'll be mostly done with him but i think uh he did go to McAllister and he was on death row and in 2013 uh, it was 2013 he it was it was five years that he had been there and after five years, because of overcrowding, I don't know all the, the rules. Somebody may know more than me, but but they're up. they give them cellmates. After five years on death row, then then they start to pair you up. Well, the guy they put in there with him was nasty, and he killed him the first night. He he killed your uncle. Killed my uncle. Got him out of his bed, and I got a few details, but not all of them. Um, killed him um, and, and put him back in his bunk and went to sleep, and. Um, they, they found him at bed check. And so the, the part of that, that wherever you stand on the death penalty, uh, I didn't know until then. And in that particular case, I was pro-death penalty, in our particular case. Um, uh, and, and that's all I can speak to for that. I, I, you know, I'm, sure. every, every, every case is different. Um, I, I was for it and, and pushed for it. And then he was dead. And something changed in me then. Uh, after all these years of trying to get sober, something was finished. Something was done. Something was over. Um, I didn't have to be the state's witness. I didn't have to be the torch carrier. And, and I'm not in any way wanting to imply that that's why I was drinking at all. 
But something in my brain was relieved, and I realized I didn't care why he wasn't here anymore. I just wanted him to not be here. And I didn't, Well, the weight of that trauma and, had and you. The truth is, this year would probably be nearing the end of his appeals, and my kids, who weren't alive when it happened, would see it on television and hear it on the, and, on the radio and know that Mommy and Daddy are going to Fort Collins, Colorado, to the 11th District Court to, uh, to be there for this appeal, you know, and testify again. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of that happened. It's over. It's over. It was over. And it was done. And there was a relief about it that I don't know that it's a coincidence. Now, I didn't get sober that day, but it was the beginning. I see it in my life as the beginning of the real end, where I really, really, really became convinced it wasn't about anything else. It was about alcoholism. It wasn't him. It wasn't that. It had been a long time. It had been all these other things. I, I really was ready to be sober, and I couldn't be. For until April, that following April. It was almost like, at least the way that I'm kind of picturing it is like the excuse that you were using at the time was finally yeah out the window. Like it couldn't use that excuse to continue drinking. Yeah, and I hated myself for using that excuse, but I did. Yeah. I did, and and I swore that I wouldn't, and I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to turn it into that, uh, but but I did. It just naturally. Because uh, anytime I would tell somebody the story, um, and, and even people in recovery, you know, that, well, I, I probably would have drank too. And I'm like, see, you would drink, you would do it, you would do, you know, but it didn't take much. It could be the guy at Homeland, yeah. you know, it didn't matter. I just needed, you know, someone to say, someone to understand why I was doing what I was yeah. doing. Um, my wife was pretty well getting beyond the point where she understood why I was doing, she understood what was happening to our family as a result of it. Um, but I, 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 I used it so that people would understand. I'm not a bad person. I'm just, this is what I'm doing. Um, taking a lot of bad actions. Right. It's like the not, you know, I've heard several times, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Sure. Yes. And that whole realm of trauma and the effects of trauma and how it unfolds on, on you in every way, mentally, physically, emotionally. You bet. And I don't want to diminish any of that because it's the part seven years in mm-hmm. now that I'm dealing with now. It hasn't been properly uh, processed. And so it's time. You know, it is time. And we're, we're going back through it now uh, because, because it's time and it needs to be done. Uh, but early on, um, I would have told you, well, I've kind of lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Um, in the early parts... What I want to say about it, I like I picked up my train of thought again, is it is critical to know that I was I was struggling with sobriety the day that it happened. It I wasn't um, on 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 the beam, so to speak. I wasn't walking down the center of the spiritual path. This glorious, um, happy, joyous, and free, soulful person. I was I was struggling. I was battling, uh, you know, my the pills, and I was battling alcohol, and, and trying to stay sober, and trying to figure out how I was going to do that and navigate all that. When this happened, it is not the cause of my alcoholism. The reason I drank and the reason I did other things is not because my mother was killed and I was there. It's not. Now, giving it its due respect sure didn't help things, and it and it, it it deepened and furthered uh, the causes and conditions. I'm sure of it. Um, it was one huge thing or a multitude of huge things on top of what already existed to get away from. It was, early on, I was suggested by my sponsor and a few other people that I go see somebody because of the trauma, because of, you know, it was, a, it was a horrific day. 
and, and that needs to be processed. And, and my sponsor said, uh, before I went, I think it was the day before, he said, when you get there, you, you need to give this doctor a full knowledge of your condition. You need to tell him everything. It was a week after, you know, two weeks after uh, that I went to see this doctor, and, and I knew what kind of medication they would give, and I knew that um, that, that might help me. And in, in my, my alcoholic brain had myself somehow convinced that this time it would be different. This time I'll control it. This time I'll take it as directed. This, and and I, there, that was never going to happen. Um, no matter how much willpower or whatever I thought I had, uh, I was desperate and I was in need of relief and I knew that they had that to offer. And, um, and, and then, um, well, we don't have to get into that, but we're very, very good friends with the, the, the original uh, psychologist that I saw. Um, and uh, we joke that she, she sees kids now, and my wife and I joke that I chased her out of adult therapy. Because <laughs> I came in, and, you know, and, I, and I, I told that story, and it was just like, um, and I remember her crying, and she had tears in her eyes because she's a wonderful person. And my head said, you can't help me. I was a mess. I, I was, you, take a, you take a guy who's uh, struggling anyway, enough to the, to the degree that I'm a known alcoholic who continues to drink for relief, you know, to, to tame my emotions. And then throw him in that pot. Um, and what comes out is just so, I, I, it's probably predictable, but it wasn't to me. I had never, I didn't know what was happening to me. I knew that I was, I just called myself nuts and, you know, I couldn't sleep. And I, I, I had all the typical PTSD stuff. You know, I, I remember my wife being in the shower and I thought she had been in there too long. Mm. And I, my brain got to work and he's just right there. What if he got out? Well, he didn't even know where we lived. He didn't know where the house was. It was a new house. But... I, I couldn't, and I had to go in there and check, and I pull back the shower curtain, and you know, just that type of living, um, and then trying to run a business, and you know, I had wonderful people that worked for me, and I even had a few people, other people in town that are still in business, uh, step in and, and do some of my work. Just call and say, what? Give us a list. What can we do? How can we help you? So I ended up. I went to Valley Hope, um, forced for sure, in, in Cushing, in um, 2008, and I was nowhere near ready to be sober, but I was afraid. You know, and I wasn't drinking that much at the time. I was, I was drinking a little, but I was just taking the medications. And I wanted my wife to be okay and not afraid. And I wanted, I, want, I thought, you know, this will be a fresh start. But I, you know, would come home in the middle of the day and, and I was <clears throat> medicated and I, I tried to get in our garage and it was raining and I couldn't. And I ended up hitting the garage door and pulling it down, like halfway down and back at two o'clock, you know, and I, and I back out in the driveway and go inside and go to sleep on the couch. And so my wife, my kindergarten teacher wife, comes home to this. What in the world you know, are you supposed to do with that? But fortunately, we had a strong community around us, and she had phone numbers, and she called some guys, and they knew what to do. And the next day, I was on my way to treatment. And I didn't fight it. I didn't have a lot of hope for it, but I didn't fight it. I knew it was the right thing to do for her and for, you know, and, and there were trips back and forth. I, I was, I was, St. Anthony's and I was, you know, just desperately trying to figure out, you know, what's the future? Um, and, and so then, you know, for, I, I had some periods of sobriety after that. Thank you for listening to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope for those facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community. You can find more information about the Virtue Center by visiting www.thevirtuecenter.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. To share your story, sponsor a podcast, or to contribute to the work of the Virtue Center, please contact Blossom Cruz at bcruz at thevirtuecenter.org. 
That's B-C-R-E-W-S at thevirtuecenter.org. Trust the Lord.